Genesis chapter 12. So here is the call of Abraham to leave his land and God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Maybe we'll begin um, in verse number 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they shall kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass when Abram was come to Egypt, and the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maidservants, and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou, She is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife, now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. We'll stop there. A lot of reading, I know. And really what I'd like to think on this morning is in verse number 10. I'd like to think on this word sojourn 52 times in the Bible. This word is used. And you know, I guess maybe the first thought is, is uh, maybe a temporary move, a temporary stay, uh, that man is going there for just a, a little while. But you know, as I think about this word, you could look it up, and it means this as well. It means to turn aside from the road. Now you think about what our sister just said there a minute ago. I believe from what I heard her say, there must be some plan. There must be some road. There must be some direction that God has for us. So as we think about Abram, Let's think about Abram and what God says. I'm going to give you this land, this land of Canaan. I'm going to give you this land and I want you to dwell here. But notice in verse number 9 that Abraham journeyed. That word journeyed there means to pull up. You know, I, I would say that you could say it like this, that Abraham pulled up the tent stakes. Abraham is going farther and farther south. You know, I don't mean this to be silly, but you know, you think about the word, how things can turn south in a hurry. What does that mean to you when somebody say, things turn south in a hurry? 
they they it 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 went the wrong way, didn't it? It went it went in a way that w- was not desirous. But notice that Abraham pulled up. Abraham journeyed, pulled up, going on toward the south. So Abraham, by this word of God, and you know I, I'm not I'm not saying that Abraham's not God's man. I don't mean to say that at all. But I say this. That for me, I believe for even Abraham, for David, for multitudes that we read in the Bible, we can, we can sojourn, we can turn out of the way. We can turn aside out of the way. You know, you might, we could see this. Well, I'm on the road and I'm going from point A to point B. We could say that even in, the, in our daily lives. I'm going from point A to point B. Well, it's 6 o'clock in the evening. I'm going to turn off the road and find a place to stay tonight. Sojourn would work in that, in that context. But I, I want us to think about it greater than that. I want us to think about turning aside from the road. The word also means to shrink back from. So Abraham... is going southward. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. Now you you think with me, and let's reason. So does God know when He's telling Abraham, this is the land I'm going to get you. I'm going to give you. Is Egypt the land that God is giving Abraham? That's not the land, is it? Abraham is going beyond the borders of what God promised and going into a place. Now, you might say, well, he's got a legitimate reason. Well, we might say that, but could I say this? Is this a test to trust God? Is this a trial to trust God? Is this seeing whether God can provide for me where He's placed me? Is this a place that God is trying my faith? I mean, is this God's will for Abraham to go down into Egypt? I believe we're going to see in the end whether this is God's will or not. So just bear with me. And as we walk down through these verses, let's bring it down to our daily lives. So there was a famine in the land and Abram went down. So he's headed south still farther, isn't he? You might say, well, you're just reading too much into that. Well, I tell you, he's going away from the land that God promised. He's going beyond the borders of what God promised. He's going into a place that he, as God's man, as God's called out man, He's going into a place that God has... God didn't say for you to go into... He didn't call him out to go to Egypt. He called him out into Canaan's land. So Abraham is going beyond. Abraham is leaving the road. Abraham is leaving the path. Abraham is leaving where God called him, called him into. He didn't call him into Canaan's land for him to go into Egypt's land. It's just as our sister said a few minutes ago, you know something, I'm not my own. If you're saved, you're not your own. And Abraham is not his own. So look with me. Stay in the Bible if you've got one in front of you. Stay in there and look at this. How that it is on, it's in the verses. It's on the pages of God's Word. And Abraham went down... So, you remember how Jonah went down? Jonah went down to Tarsus, didn't he? Jonah went down and found a ship going away from God. Jonah went down into the belly of the ship. You know, he's going away. He's trying to get away. Abraham's going down. And you know, that's our tendency. And the truth is... I believe it's our tendency when things are not flowing smooth, we're going to get out of the road. 
I'm going a different... Things are not going as smooth as I think they should. I'm going to go down here. I believe it'll be better. Is it, is it going to turn out for the better? So the Word of God says that He went down for the famine was grievous in the land. You might say, well, it looks to me like Abraham's got a legitimate reason for leaving the road. But again, I say this, I believe it uh, was Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter maybe chapter number 1. What, what are we dealing with here? He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, what we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, how long's this famine? It's seasonal, I know that. I know, I know that Abraham's going to leave Egypt. In our verses, we're, we're going to find that he's going to leave Egypt. Where's he headed? He's headed back. He's headed back where he came from. But Peter says this, that the trial of your faith, for a season if need be, you be in, in through manifold temptations. There's a great temptation here to Abram to leave the land of Canaan because of a famine to go down to Egypt. That's our tendency. If things are not going smooth, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look for a way out. I'm going to look for a smoother road. I'm going to look for a, the grass is greener on the other side. That may very well look that way. And when you get over there, you know, from a distance, you know, you look and you say, man, it looks green over there. And you get over there and it's multifloral roses. You get over there and it's blackberries in bloom. You get over there and it's not what you expected. Abraham, Peter said this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I think, I think by reading and knowing what the end of this is, I believe that this is a trial. This is a test. This is God testing. And this is God showing you and I, even through His servant Abraham, that Abraham is leaving the road. Abraham is leaving the path that God put him on. Put him on. And this trial right here, uh, friend, this is going to bring lasting results when Abraham leaves the road. I believe you can see it in the beginnings of it. Listen to what he says. It came to pass when he came near unto Egypt. So he's not there yet, but he's headed that way. Listen to the counsel that he gives his wife. Now, you're a beautiful woman, Sarah. Sarah, Saraya, I'm not sure exactly how that might be pronounced. We know that in the 17th chapter of this book that God changed her name from Saraya. And I tell you what, you won't find this in every dictionary, but this writing... S-A-R-A-I. When you look that up, that word means dominative. Diminutive. Dominative. She is a dominant wife. And you might think that that don't mean anything. Well, I tell you, it's going to play into the picture in a little while. And that word diminutive or dominative it means exercising control, power, influence over another. That is what her name means right here. That is exactly what her name means. You look it up. You look it up in your dictionary, in your Strong's. Look it up there. Abraham says to Sarah, or Sarah, Behold, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they will want to kill me and save thee. Now you tell me, is this the right place to go? I'm headed to a place that I'm in fear for my life. I'm headed to a place that I'm fearful that I'm going to die. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm headed into a country that's going to be hard against me. I'm headed into a place that people don't fear God. Isn't that right? Do you see that in this? 
I tell you, Abraham is leaving the road and he's telling his wife before they ever get there. This is a bad place. This is a place where I could lose my life over you. This is a place where they're going to look on you and they're going to desire you and because of their desire, they're going to kill me. Is this the place that I need to be going? Do I need to be going to this place? And can I reason in my mind that this is God's will for me to go and leave the road for me to shrink back from what God has given me and go into Egypt when I, before I ever get there, I've got knowledge of the situation at hand. Is this God's will? Is it God's will for me to sojourn in Egypt? I don't believe that we could say, I don't believe that we could see in this that this could be God's will. You say, well, it's a famine and Abraham needs to go down there. Well, I say this, that Abram knows exactly where he's headed. He knows he's headed into a country that he's very likely to lose his life. If it wasn't for the hand of God, he could have lost his life. He could have lost his life and lost his wife as well. But you know, by the hand of God, thank God for His hand over us in our stupidity. I'll say that for me. In my stupidity, thank God for the mercy and the grace and the hand of God to be in our lives. Let's look a little farther at Abraham. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. I ask you, what's he doing now? He's asking his wife to lie. Now you say, well, she really is his half-sister. I ask you this, which is she to him? That's his wife. He's afraid if they know that that's his wife, that's what they're associating him with. So he's going to lie. He's going to go to Egypt and he's going down there knowing the situation. He's already asking his wife to lie for him right off of the bat. Is this the will of God? Is this God's plan? Is this the right road to be on? Is this the road? Can, can I, in my mind, think that God would put me on a road that I need to lie and a road that I need to be fearful on a road that's going away from God, on a road that's going away from the boundaries of God's land into a place uh, that God is one day going to destroy. Is, is this where I need to go? This is not where Abraham needs to go. Abraham, he's, he's and you know, isn't it wonderful that God writes this down for us? Isn't it wonderful that God puts David's failure in the Bible for us? You know, God could have left that Scripture that David was a man after God's own heart. He could have left all those battles, how that he spared Saul, how that he won over Goliath, how that he did all of these things, and left that little story, that little chapter about Bathsheba out. That's for my benefit, your benefit. So this, I believe this Scripture right here is for our benefit. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Where's Abraham's trust? Is it in God? No, it's in that dominative wife. It's in that wife... He has put his trust in the flesh. He has put his trust in that that he is able to uh, twist, able to turn, make it look different, make it look better. Uh, uh, let, let's go down here. The grass is greener down here in Egypt. I realize that that's beyond the borders of what God called me to. I know, you know, I know that I'm fearful. I'm doubting. I'm worried about what may happen. You know, I, I, is that God? Is that God when I'm doubting, when I'm fearful, when I'm lying, when I'm leaving where God wants me to be? Is that God's place for me to be? Abraham's leaving the road. There's no question about it. Abraham is leaving the road. 
And he is trusting in what his wife is going to say. I mean, that's where he's putting his trust. You, you listen to it. Thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Where's God? Where's God? Abraham's left the road. Abraham's left God, and Abraham is, is trusting that what his wife says and what she's going to do is going to save him. And it came to pass, isn't it amazing that it worked out just exactly like he thought it would? He knew. He knew what was going to happen. The Egyptians saw her, and they beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her. You know what they're doing? (laughs) Hey man, I'm going to make some points right here with Pharaoh. I'm going to recommend this beautiful woman that I saw. And you know, she's not like all the other Egyptian women. She is unique in beauty, in nature. She is unique. I'm going to recommend her to Pharaoh. It worked out just exactly like Abraham thought it would, didn't it? So, let's read the next verse. And Pharaoh entreated Abram well for her. And he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. So the word entreat there, it means this, to benefit or to pay. So uh, a Pharaoh is going to pay Abraham well, good, well-pleasing. Abraham is going to be benefited greatly. You know, it looks like everything is going great, doesn't it? It looks like there's nothing wrong in this situation. I don't see that there could be anything bad come out of this. It all looks great. He paid her well by the Word of God. He paid Abram well for Sarah. But you know, the Lord plagued Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh figured it out or God revealed it to him or somehow this come to Pharaoh's knowledge. Maybe maybe in the plague of all the house, maybe Sarah spilt the beans. Maybe, maybe she said, well, I'm, I'm his wife. I am his half-sister, but I'm his wife. You know, isn't it something that Pharaoh sends him away? Could have killed him and her both, couldn't he? But in the providence and the purposes of God, here is God sending Abraham by the hand of a people that would have killed him. He said it himself. It worked out just exactly like he thought. They took Sarah. They entreated him well for it. He left the road. And when Abraham leaves, there's a part of Egypt leaving with him. And this is going to be a great hurt down the road. In just a chapter or two, we're going to find Abraham and Sarah, and Abraham's going to promise again. Abraham's going to be promised again by the Word of God in chapter number 15. Abraham is... God's going to enter enter into a covenant with Abraham in chapter 15. And you know, it's amazing that when Abraham is brought into this covenant, (laughs) Abraham's asleep, in a deep sleep. And God makes a covenant. You know what I read? I read in Hebrews chapter 6 that the Bible said when God swore to Abraham, when he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Both an oath and a covenant that he made with Abraham while Abraham was asleep. God made this covenant. And you know, here he is making a covenant. And... and, and, and and Abraham has got all these sacrifices laid out, and God makes a covenant with Abraham alone. No Abraham side to it, just God. So as you think about that, the very next chapter, 
Read verse chapter 1 and verse number 16. Now Sarah, Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Where did she come from? She came from that sojourn. She came from that leaving the road. She came from that that Abraham should have never left the land of Canaan, should have never left the land that God promised him. Hagar comes from Egypt. You know all that pay? You know all of that entreating? You know all of that payment and all that benefit that Abraham brought out of there? All those sheep and those asses and those camels and those men servants and those maid servants? Right here was one of them. And her name means to flee. How is this going to work out for Abraham? Abraham's going to have a son. You know the story. And really, I just want to think about the sojourn and leaving the road. I just want to think about how painful that this really is. So Sarah is going to tell Abraham, you go in. God, isn't it amazing? Read the verse with me. Read the verse with me. Behold now, verse 2, the Lord, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Who's in control? Sarah says God's in control. But God told Abraham, and I'm sure uh, uh, she wasn't left out of it, we're going to have a son. When God promised that, was there a Hagar in the picture? No Hagar. No, Hagar, God's not changed plans. God has not changed His mind. Before Abraham ever left the road, God made a promise. Before Sarah ever has this handmaid, God made a promise. Before Abraham goes into Hagar, Sarah says, God hath withheld me from having children. God has stopped me. So who's in control? Sarah, Sarah says, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my handmaid. It may be, it may be that I may obtain children by her. Is that the way God works? It may be, maybe, it may be, perhaps, perchance that God will give me children by her. No, I tell you, God made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah that He was going to give them children, and it wasn't through a handmaid named Hagar that came out of Egypt. That was a product of Abraham leaving the road. But you see how this works? A friend here is Sarah saying, Abraham, God has withheld me from having children. Go into my handmaid. You know something? This is going to be sorrow. He's going to go into Sarah. Or Sarah's going to hand over Hagar. Abraham's going to go into her. How in the world? How in the world is the mind of Sarah? How is her mind affected when she sees her husband go into the tent with another woman? How is her mind and her heart affected by that? But you know, she's going to conceive. And when she conceives, you know what she's going to do? She's going to rebel. She's going to rebel against her own master. She's going to rebel against Saraya. This lady, this Hagar, belongs to Saraya, belongs to Abraham's wife. But when she figures out that she's pregnant, she's going to rebel against her own Lord, her own master, her own keeper. She's going to rebel against the one that she's been a servant to so long. So here's trouble. Here's trouble with Sarah and Hagar. Here's trouble with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, it's your fault. I gave her to you to benefit you to bring to pass, isn't it amazing? To bring to pass God's will. 
That's the reason I gave her to you. I mean, I know it's God that shut up my wound. But, you know, I'm going to give you this woman right here. You're going to go into it. It's going to break my heart. It's going to tear me all to pieces. And that's just the beginning of what it's going to do. Uh, Friend, then it's going to drive a wedge between me and you. It's your fault, Abraham. Here's this dominant woman. Listen to what the Bible said. Verse 5, Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be on thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and thee. <laughs> you know, it's your fault, Abraham. I know I gave her to, but it's your fault. There's no way to win, folks. There's no way to win in this situation. This right here is when I leave the road. When I leave the road, you know what? Here, you might say, well, Abraham was really blessed when he came out of Egypt. Yeah, he really was. He was really blessed. He would have been better off if Pharaoh had said, you get out of town, you're not getting anything from here. Would he not have been better off but that you and I might see the workings of God? Abraham looks like he's well entreated. Looks like he's benefited by telling the lie. Looks like he's benefited by leaving the road. Looks like he's benefited by knowing what's going to happen and getting Sarah to lie. It looks like it's all working out good. Look down the road a little ways and we'll see it's not working out too good when I leave the road. It ain't going to work out too good. So now, Sarah is blaming Abraham because Hagar is despised. Sarah. But Abraham, thank God for his wisdom. Behold, the maid's in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. There's that word, there's that name, flee. She's going to run away. But you know something? The God of heaven above, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to come to Hagar and tell her to go back and submit to your master. Go back and submit unto Sarah. What's going to happen? There's going to be a son born, an Ishmael. Uh, Ishmael is going to be born out of this relationship. This is a child of the flesh. This is a child of heartache. This is a wild man. This is a man that's against every hand and every hand is against him. Against him. And I say for me and for you, I believe that we've got both of these. I believe we've got a Soraya. I believe we've got one living on the inside of us that wants to have dominion. I believe we've got one on the inside of us that wants to have the authority. I believe we've got one on the inside of us that's continually blaming. Uh, Friend, if there's any trouble, continually blaming it on somebody else. But let me tell you, when I leave the road and you leave the road, we're going to have an Ishmael. And friend, that Ishmael, our friend, is a product of Egypt. That Ishmael is a product of the flesh. That Ishmael is a product of that one that come out of Egypt. That one that came, our friend, when I left the road. That one that came when I backed up. That one when I shrank away. Ishmael is going to come and he's going to be a wild man. You know what he's going to be at 13 years old? My God. You men and ladies, and some of you that's got grandchildren, when your son was 13, how how was your heart? You know what God's going to tell Abraham? The diminutive, the dominant, that woman is going to say, get rid of him. And it's the truth. God says to do it. But can you imagine the hurt that is in the heart of Abraham at 13 years old? Abraham is going to have to get rid of a son that he loves. A son that he loves. And you know, I know there's a spiritual meaning here as well. Ishmael is going to mock Isaac. Ishmael is continually going to mock the things of God. Ishmael is going to mark and Sarah... 
says, Abraham, you get her and that boy out of here. They're not going to be inheritors with me and with my son. Ishmael is not going to inherit with my son. That's the way it is, folks. But Ishmael is a product of the flesh that hinders me, mocks me, keeps me from benefiting and having the things that God wants me to have. Ishmael is going to be a great hurt unto Abraham. You know, I don't think Sarah is going to miss him at all. But I tell you, his daddy's going to miss him. His daddy is going to be brokenhearted. His daddy is going to be broken from head to toe because of having to sever this relationship. You know, if my life is so wrapped up in this world, you know something? Instead of wrapped up in the things of God, when I leave the road, I may get my heart and my mind and my thoughts wrapped up in the things of this world. And you know something? A day or two down the road, when God brings about His work, I tell you that that Isaac, Isaac is a son of impossibility. Isaac is a son that is a work of God. Isaac is a son that there is absolutely no way that Abraham and Sarah can have. It is absolutely a work of God alone. But Ishmael is a work of the flesh. So you think about that little word, sojourn. And I'm not, I'm not going to go farther. We know this. God's going to make a great nation out of Ishmael. But you know that style of life, that wild man against everybody, that man is still alive today. That man is continually alive. Go with me to the book of Ruth, if you would. The book of Ruth. So the Bible says here, chapter 1, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And again, I say this, I believe this is a test. I believe this is a trial. The book of Ruth, chapter number 1, when the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem of Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Is this going to be good? Well, I'll say this. You know, there's a life that you and I live on a daily basis. Is it going to be good? Out out of this, God is going to bring a Ruth out of this. Out of this, God is going to bring in the chapter, in the uh, Matthew chapter number uh, one or number three, uh, God is going to bring a Ruth into the lineage of Jesus Christ. But can I say that this is the will of God? Was it? I realize in this, think with me and compare the two. On the horizontal, they crucified the Son of God. Were they innocent? On the vertical, God ordained and planned that His Son would be crucified at that age. There's going to be a Ruth come out of this chapter number 1. But was this... Is this what God wants me to do? So there's a man named Elimelech. My God is king. Going to take his wife, Miss Pleasant, to sojourn. They're just going down there for a day or two. But again, I can't get away from that meaning to turn out of the road. To leave the road. Did everybody in Bethlehem of Judea leave? Was there nobody left in Bethlehem of Judea? So was this a trial on the, on the horizontal for Elimelech? Oh, preacher, well, out of that came a roof. I realize that. But out of that also came the death of Elimelech. Also out of that came the poverty of a Naomi. Also out of that came from pleasant to bitterness. Also out of that came the death of Malon and Kilion. Out of all of that came Ophrah. 
and also came a Ruth. Out of that came two sons that married into Moabitish women. Out of that came a, a marriage and an interlinking with a people that God said, even unto the tenth generation, they shall not come into the family of God. Is this the will of God? So he went down there to sojourn. And Elimelech, verse 3, Naomi's husband died. She was left of her two boys. Her two boys took lives out of Moab. Is this God's will? You say, well, we don't have any Scripture that says there's anything wrong with it. Well, I say this, they, they worship Baal and Chemos and these gods that they created with their hands. And God said, because they didn't meet you, when you came out of Egypt, He said, there will be no Moabite nor Amorite come into the family of God, come into the lineage, come into the worship for ten generations. You know what He was saying really? Never. Never. Never will there be a Moabite. Never will there be an Ammonite come into the family of God. There's the law. I tell you, it's amazing the wonderful grace of God. <laughs> it looks like, folks, it looks like everything you could do against God is going on. It looks like it is going to be an absolute disaster. And it is. In many ways, it's a disaster. They went down, they took them wives of the women of Moab. One was Orpha, the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there ten years. I don't know if there was a famine for ten years, but I do know this. There was somebody up there at Jerusalem that sent word back down to Moab. There's bread. There was somebody up there for those previous ten years that carried on. There was some group of people up there at the house of bread. I'm going to leave the house of bread to go to Moab to get bread. I'm going to leave the house of God. I'm going to leave the house of bread and go down to Moab because they've got bread down there. No, I tell you, I'm going to Moab. I'm leaving the road. I'm leaving God's road. I'm leaving God's provision. I believe this, friend. It doesn't matter how famished it looks. It doesn't matter how dry it looks. I tell you, God Almighty wants us to stay on the pathway, on the road, on the, on the course that He's laid out for us. Don't leave the road. Listen to a scripture. Very familiar. I know you'll, you'll recognize it plain as day. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What course? What course did Paul finish? What, Chris? The one that God laid out for him. What's Paul, in Paul's mind when he writes this, what does Paul have in his mind that is familiar to all of those people in that region? I would say it would be this. The games at Athens or the games at Corinth. That's what he's thinking about. I have run my course. I have finished my course. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying God laid out a course down at the Olympiad. And you know something? I, I, I have finished my course. I have run the course that God, as our brother said, God has laid out a course. Has God have a, does God have a course for you? Does God have a course for me? Is there a track? Is there a lane? You know, it's, it, it, isn't it something? Now we go to the Olympics today and make Maybe there's seven lanes. Maybe there's nine lanes at the Olympics. You know something? You get over into my lane, you block my progression. Isn't that right? You get out of your lane and you get over in my lane. You're, you're bothering me. You're hindering me. I tell you, Paul said, I have run my course. I have finished my course. Yeah, I don't believe that he means that I'm glad that I'm getting ready to die. I believe that he means this. I have accomplished and I have completed and I have run the course that God laid out for me and I have stayed on track. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. 
Listen to what Paul writes to the church, uh, to the Hebrews in chapter number 12. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Who brought that famine in, in the book of Ruth? Who brought the famine in Abraham's day? Who brings the famine in my day? Who set the course up? God set this up. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience uh, uh, the race that is set before us. Paul's talking about a race that God ordained. Paul is talking about a race that the Lord set up. And he said, I'm going to follow the course. I'm not turning out of the road. I'm not going down the other way. Oh, listen to what he says. In, uh, Paul says this in the book of Acts chapter number 20. Chapter number 20, the book of Acts. Man, you talk about a man. You talk about a man that's zeroed in and looking at the finish line. Here is a man that's looking at the finish line and looking at the course that God has laid out. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't want to get off track here. I don't want to go out of the road here. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 24. What's going on? Oh, i tell you what's going on. There's people telling Paul, I, I, I'm bound, Paul says in uh, chapter 20, verse 22, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit. Is there something a hold of Paul greater than what he sees with the outward man? Is there something greater than the famine? Is there something greater than green grass on the other side? I tell you, Paul says, I'm bound by the Spirit. I, there's something in my heart. There's a hold on me. God has got a hold on me. And I do, I, I'm not able. They said, Paul, uh, you know what's going to happen? You're going down to Jerusalem and there there's going to be bonds. There's going to be affliction. Abide me. Verse number 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, that I may finish my, my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know what Paul said? You tell me that I'm going to die. I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to be put in bonds. He said that don't move me. I'm not leaving the road. I'm not getting off of, church, off of the course. I'm not sojourning over here for a while. Paul said I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm bound by the Spirit to stay on course. No sojourning with Paul. He's not leaving the road. He's not shrinking back. He's, he's not going to do it. Now you think with me. Can he back off? We're at the Olympics. The best in the world are there. Can he back off? If he's running, if he's running a marathon... If he's running a half marathon, if he's running a two mile run, if he's running a one mile run, can he back off? I tell you, the competition is there. There is no point in time that he can back off. There is no point in time that he can back off and take a, a smoke break. No time that he can back off and take an Egypt break. No time that he can back off and take a Moab break. No time that he can back off and take a flesh break. Paul is running, and I tell you, he's on course. He's giving it all he's got. He wants to win. He said there's one that wins. We should run that we might win. So, how's he doing? Well, I tell you, he said, I have finished my course. He didn't mean that he was coming to the end and he was tickled to be at the end. No, he was talking about accomplishing. He was talking about completing. He was talking about doing all that God bid him to do. So as you think about this, think with me in Romans chapter 14 about Abraham. Think about Abraham and think about Sarah. Think about Ruth or, or uh, Naomi and Elimelech. Romans chapter 14 verse 22. 
Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. Reckon when Abraham told Sarah to lie, reckon that bothered him a little. And he that doubteth, you know, if you don't say this, Sarah, I could lose my life. Is he doubting? Is he doubting about going to Egypt? He's in great doubt about it. He's in fear about it. He's going to lie about it. He's going to leave the road and expect it all to turn out good. And you know what? For a while it looks real good, doesn't it? But dear, here comes Ishmael. You know what happened when Sarah said, Abraham, take my handmaid, Hagar? What happened there? He left the road. Did he not? He left the road. He left the road again. He said, I'm going to take a little side trip right here. Well, I tell you that little side trip, when he left the road, 13 years later, I'd say he had 12 or 13 years of great joy. And then in another chapter or two, at 99 years old, God says, I'm going to give you a son, Abraham. Oh, he laughed and said, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Said, You tell Sarah. He told Sarah. And Sarah was told, and Sarah laughed. As the angel was telling what was going to happen with Sarah, Sarah laughed. And I believe if I remember right, Anthony teaching on this, and what did that name mean? What did that name Isaac mean, Anthony? Laughter. God proved it, didn't He? God proved. So, what is God doing right here? He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not in faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Did God, did God lead Abraham down to Egypt? I don't believe He could, not with the lies, not with the doubts, not with the fears. I don't believe that God was in that. I believe Abraham was leaving the road. I believe Elimelech left the road. I believe Elimelech, by the Word of God, Elimelech left the house of bread and went to Moab to find sustenance. When I leave the house of bread and go to the world to find sustenance, and when I leave the, world, the house of bread and head down to Moab, a place that God said they were not coming into the tenth generation, I believe I need to stay away from there, don't you? So let's go back to Ruth for a minute or two. Mm. So she heard... I think this is absolutely wonderful. She arose with her daughter-in-laws, verse number 6, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Isn't it wonderful that you can't get past, that you can't get to a place that the Word of God can't come to where you are? Isn't that wonderful that God sent a word? Here is a woman that is bitter. Here is a woman that's poor. Here is a woman, all of these are in the text. Here is a woman that's bitter, poor, old, no hope of a husband, no hope of an heir, no hope of a son, no hope of a son-in-law, no hope of any grandchildren. And here is a woman that God said, I'm going to send her a word. Though she's down there in Moab, I'm going to send her a word. Isn't that wonderful that God would see our condition, see where we're at, see how poor, how old, how without anything, how without any joy, my pleasantness is gone, my riches are gone, my fullness is gone, but thank God, God still thinks on me. I tell you, I think that's wonderful. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. Just a little more. Bear with me just a little more. So, Orpha and Ruth started out with her. <laughs> and Ruth said, Where are you girls going? I don't have anything. I'm an old woman. I don't have a husband. I don't have a son. If I had a husband tonight and I was to get pregnant, 
Could you wait 15 years for a husband? No. Go back. Go back to your family. Go back to your home. Go back to your gods. Or if I kissed her and turned around and went back. Ruth clave to her is what the Bible said. So listen to this verse. Verse number 11. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Why will you go with me? She's going to say in the next few verses, she's got nothing. But I want you to think on this. Why will you go with me? 1 Kings 19, 20. 1 Kings 19, I'm going to read 1919, 1 Kings 1919. Here is Elijah going up to where Elisha is. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, Kiss my father and my mother, and then will I follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back. What have I done to you? (laughs) What's Ruth say? Go on back to your gods. Go on back to your family. Boy, I tell you, friend, when God does a work, when God's working on the inside, you know that mantle... That mantle, I believe, is a type of the power and the presence of God. Elijah threw that mantle on Elisha. And you know something? There was no repentance from that. He couldn't get away from that. He said, you know, he wasn't saying, let me go home and when mom and daddy dies, when I get done plowing, when we get the crop in, when I get everything I've got to do done, I'll follow you then. No, he's saying, I'm going home and tell them bye and I'll be behind you. Why would you follow me, Elijah says? I tell you, God was doing a work. Uh, friend, you might say, well, uh, why would Ruth follow Naomi? Why will you go with me, old daughters? I tell you, there was God was doing a work. God was bringing a Ruth out of Moab. God was bringing a child in. God was bringing the mother, a friend through the Lord, her uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. God was doing that. When did God start that process? I got several scriptures I'd like to read to you about that. Matthew four nineteen and four twenty, and I'll, I'll I'll just say this: they're there. But there's Peter and James and John and, and, and Andrew. And you know what? Uh, the Lord come by and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. The Lord said, follow me. In Luke chapter 5, they caught the greatest catches of fishes they'd ever caught in their life. And the Lord said, uh, Peter said, uh, depart from me. I, I'm, a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, I'm a man that's filthy. Get away from me. I'm a sinner. But you know what he did? He forsook all and followed the Lord. You mean to tell me that they made a decision? I'll tell you, God. God was working on the inside. I'll tell you, friend, that Orpha went back because there had not been a work of God done in her. Oh, this work of God was done in that little lady called Ruth. And that work of God was done in a James and a John and a Peter and an Andrew. And that work of God, a friend, was done. A friend, where are you? Why did you come? Because God brought you. Because God was doing a work. He cast a mantle on Elisha. The presence and the power of God. Preacher, you've got to make a decision. Alright? I'll give you all of the previous. I'll give them all to you. Go with me to John 11. Go with me to John 11. Where is he? Take away the stone. Lord, it's been four days. He's stinking. 
I said unto thee, if thou wouldest believe. Now listen, we're talking about a Martha and a Mary. We ain't talking about them believing so this dead man can get up. We're talking about them believing and they're going to see the great and the mighty works of God. Just listen. You know, if this is not a picture of salvation, I don't know what it is. But you know, if you're going to hold on to uh, 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 your free will and going to hold on to uh, every man as a free moral agent, I tell you what, you're going to have to do something with this Scripture. You might say, well, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they all made a decision to follow Jesus. They took away the stone from the place where the dead... You see that? Who, who is it there? Is this dead where the dead was laid? They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hearest Me. And I knew that Thou hearest Me always, but because of these people which stand by, I say it that they may believe that Thou hast sent Me. And when He had thus spoken, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Did the dead man make a decision? Did the dead man make a decision to follow Jesus? I tell you, there was a work of God done through the work of the Holy Ghost and through the Word of God. There was a work done on the inside of a dead man. And you know that you were dead and I was dead and you have He quickened who were dead. And you have He quickened who were dead. Let's think on that for just another moment. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to point out a couple of things in this Scripture. And you have He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Can I be alive? My natural man is alive. You can preach to me, Joseph, to my natural man. And do you know that my natural man will reject everything that you say? But my natural man is not the one that receiveth the things of God. My natural man is not the one that gets saved. It's my spiritual man. It's that man on the inside. So here are a people that are dead in trespasses and sin. But I want you to look at this. Would you look with me? Would you look with me in verse number 2? Where in the times past, verse number 1, we're talking about dead people. Verse number 2, we're talking about dead people that are walking around. Do you see that? I tell you, there's a difference between the natural and the spiritual. And God is doing a work in Abraham. And God is doing a work in Ruth. And God is doing a work in a James and a John. And God is doing a work in a dead man named Lazarus. And if you get saved, God is doing a work in you. It's a call with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit quickening, making alive a dead man that's walking. Don't get those two Put together, they're not together. Those two are separate. You can preach to me and preach to me and preach to me. But until God opens my heart, until there is a spiritual awakening, until I realize that I am spiritually dead, I can't make a decision to follow God. You're talking about the natural man. These people were dead. Lazarus was dead. Lazarus was dead both naturally and spiritually. Don't, don't run too far with that. That we might see the spiritual implication He allowed Lazarus. He stayed away four more days to where Lazarus would be without question. Without question. He stinks he's so dead. You and I were quickened who were dead. We were dead. We were walking. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh. Listen, friend. You're not dead spiritually in the sense that you're not doing anything. 
you are dead spiritually because you are following the devil. You are not following God. You are dead. Not to say that your spirit is dead and there's no activity, nothing going on at all. You are following. I was following the devil. I was dead to God, but I was certainly alive to the devil. I was certainly living for the devil. I was a dead man walking around and living for the devil. And I'll say this, the reason the natural man can't come to God is because the natural man hates God. Because the natural man loves darkness rather than light. And God, the light, you know what it does? How the natural man runs away from the light. When the Word of God come and people of God come before I was 23 years of age, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to get away from them. Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. But God quickened me one day. Ruth. Naomi says to Ruth and Orpha, why? Man alive, I, I am sorry that I am so long-winded lately. Why will you go with me, O oh daughters? <laughs> Thank God it's because of the work of God. <laughs> Let me just read another verse and try to cheer you up just a little. Last verse. Before we get to the last verse, Naomi said, God's been against me. God has brought me down. God has witnessed. God has testified against me. God, uh, uh, this is what the Word of God, I went out full. Do you see that? I went out full. There's the horizontal. But the Lord, and the Lord, there's the vertical. The Lord brought me home again empty. <laughs> oh, Oh, Naomi, you may be empty. And Naomi, you may be bitter. And Naomi, you may be old. And Naomi, you may not have a husband. But let me tell you this. I bet God has brought you home. And Naomi returned in verse 22. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. A uh, friend, you know where they brought them? I tell you, they brought them back to the house of bread. And there's greater bread yet. Barley. That's on the bottom of the rung as far as good bread. Uh, you know what? Barley harvest is going to run. Wheat harvest is going to run. Maybe there might be an oak harvest. I tell you the greatest bread is yet to come. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If any man eat of me, he shall not hunger. And if any man drink of me, he'll not thirst. Oh, I tell you, you may be in Moab this morning, but know this. God would call unto you and saying, would you come? Would you come to me? Would you come and be saved? Would you come? Oh, this is just the beginning of the goodness of God and the grace of God. Would you come? 